We're going to continue that today. I don't know if you've noticed, but our title uh, for the message today is Worship the King. So, hey, we're going to talk about that. I was uh, joking with, uh, with my wife and with the team earlier today. I said, you know, it's, it's a challenge to put what the, the, the overarching purpose of all the Bible and all the universe is all into one sermon. We're here to worship the King. Let's talk about that today. Have you ever, and as we grow in that as a church... All right, so first question, have you ever uh, heard somebody use a word incorrectly? Of course, yes, and we've probably done it. The person might, might sound quite sure of themselves, but the incorrect usage betrays the truth. They don't know what that word actually means. Here's one example uh, from Twitter this week. There we go. So a blogger says, very frustrated lady next to me at GameStop. My son Kevin wants fork knife for his birthday. But no place has it in stock. Me, I think it's Fortnite. Uh, no, it's definitely Fork Knife. Uh, sorry, Kevin, I tried. Hopefully, uh, that's one of the number one video games, and hopefully uh, Kevin got that for, for Christmas. But, all right, there's just one example. There's a lot of others. Uh, many, church, many people in the church today use the word worship and really don't have the full understanding of what it means. We use it in a lot of different ways and incorrectly. The context of the, of the statement betrays the fact we don't really understand the word. Uh, Christian pollster George Barna recently surveyed church attenders across the country asking them to define worship, and the results were stunning. Two out of three people either had no idea how to define it or offered some vague definition with no real meaning. And you may ask, what's the big deal? I mean, worship, we know what worship is. Uh, what's the big deal that we have a full understanding of, of worship? And I'm here to say that from God's perspective, it is a very big deal. After attending church one Sunday morning, a little boy knelt beside his bed that night and prayed, Dear God, we had a, a good time at church today. I wish you had been there. We don't want that to be true. To God, worship is a big deal. I, I mean, it, and you're, we're going to lay that out today, that it's not merely a suggestion. It's, it's not merely for musically inclined people. It's not merely the, the music part of church. Throughout scripture, God's people worship him in every kind of way, and we are repeatedly commanded to worship God. And so we need to understand that because God was merciful to us, because he sent his son Jesus to take away our sins, and instead giving us the freedom from death and sin that we enjoy and the ability to worship him, Without his grace and mercy, we don't have the freedom and ability to worship him. But because he's done that, we respond in worship to him. Matthew 4.10, Jesus says this, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Speaking in terms of the vision for our church, who we hope to become and be together as redeemed, saved, worshiping people. We speak about our vision. This is week two of our vision 2025 series where we're rolling out our new vision statements. Did everyone receive a bulletin and a blue folder with the new papers today? If not, Mr. Aaron Turner has all of them and can pass them around. If you got a, a blue folder last week, great. All you need is the new papers today. There's two out, two documents. And uh, if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, please take all of it. It's great, great stuff. Uh, these are key documents for our church as we go into the future. So worship is right at the front 
of our vision, as it should be. It's in the front of God's purpose for us and vision for the world. Now, our mission statement, once again, is on the back of your bulletin on the bottom. It's always been there. Our mission, this is what we all join to do, is that we exist to glorify God by being Christ followers. We follow Christ in all ways um, who make Christ followers. That's the mission he gave us. We, we make disciples. Right there. We make disciples. Uh, the vision is, what does it look like as we're successful with our mission? And we've identified these three statements Permanently now, on the front of your bulletin, you're going to see those three statements. We want to be a body and people and households that continually, increasingly worship the king, mature as family, and engage the world. And as we're growing in all of those areas, we've got good things going on in our lives. So the questions that we have to grasp today as we focus on worship the king is, what is worship? Make sure everybody's got that, grasp that today. And then how do we worship? And as a fellow worshiper of God with you, brothers and sisters, I can say praise God for what he has in store for us, the vision that he has for our future. Let's answer those questions. The first one on your notes is, what is? What is worship of the king? Now, some of you might be in church for the very first time. <clears throat> And you might already be thinking, I don't know about this. They're talking about worship. So you're watching. If anything funny's going on, I know right where the exit doors are. <clears throat> and I understand that. Um, let me assure you, the doors are not bolted shut. Uh, we are glad that you're here, and we're going to learn about worshiping the creator, loving God. And I believe that God has an amazing blessing for you today as we study this topic. So let's start by making sure that we know the king who we worship. Worship the king. What is worship of the king? Here is the king. We need to know what, what we mean when we say worship the king. Did you know that the colonialists in our country's history wanted to make George Washington a king? How many, how many learned that in history class? Okay, it's pretty common to learn that. They wanted to make George Washington, our first president, the king, but he refused, and he and many of the colonists believed that there was only one king, in April 1775, when a British major called the colonialists villains and told them, lay down your arms in the name of King George III, the sovereign king of England, they responded, we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. And this became the battle cry of the Revolutionary War. No king but Jesus. Fascinating part of our country's history. Okay, so we've identified the king, but now... Is Jesus the king or is God the king? Let's get this right. The answer is yes. Yes. The Bible calls God, in general terms, the king of kings. It calls God the father, the king of kings. It is the father who's decreed the whole plan for the universe, for all of time, for your lives, for everything that happens. It's his plan, and he ruled as king over Israel, the father. Jesus, then, is called King of kings and Lord of lords because he has given the authority and the absolute dominion over all the heavens and the earth. You have to understand the triune God that we worship, three persons, one God. And his character is made seen and visible in all of his creation. So when we fly the, the banner of worship the king, is it God that we worship or is it God the Father, or is it Jesus? And the answer is 
Yes. Both are entirely correct. Now let's define worship. Worship defined. Uh, we've read lots of definitions for worship. And in your handout today, the worship ministry philosophy, you can look at it or just listen. It, there's a definition of worship right in it, at the bottom of the first page. I'm just going to read that to you. Here's how we define the word worship. At Community Grace, we define worship as the active response of a Christ follower to who God is and what he does. It's the active response. Lots of different ways to do it. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, John 4, 24. Worship is accomplished in the life of a believer when submitting one's whole self to God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. These are scriptures we'll look at a little bit later. Look at this last statement. To worship God is the reason humans exist. Not all humans know that yet, but it is. Romans eleven thirty six. To understand a word, it's helpful to look at the meanings of the original language in the Bible. That's Hebrew and Greek. The Greek word proskuneo, proskuneo, means to prostrate oneself before. That's to process, to get down, to also to adore or to blow kisses towards. The Hebrew word shakah carries a similar meaning and means to bow. So worship is our holistic selves, a spiritual all-in response, physical and emotional, full engagement of our whole selves. Jesus teaches this as well. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, as he repeats Deuteronomy. What about idolatry? We need to, we need to determine there's worship, true worship, and everything else, there's idolatry. True worship is directed toward God only. The first two of the Ten Commandments God gave is that they, they establish worship. In Exodus chapter 20, the first commandment of the Ten Commandments says, You shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment is, You shall not make for yourself a graven image or an idol. And verse 5 then says, You shall not worship these idols. You shall not worship these idols or serve them. Now we have to know this about human beings. We are created, designed to be worshipers. 100% of every human designed and created to be a worshiper, and we will worship something. We will. We will worship something or lots of things. Things that we give our first. That, I mean, look at the first and second commandment. Of God is first, but we replace him with lots of other things first. Things that we give our first love to, that we depend on and go to first, or to trust for our happiness. Let's just be honest. For us, it's things like other people's approval means more to us than God. Our control, power, sex, we choose to, to pursue that instead of any faithfulness to God. Substances, we turn to even family, entertainment, productivity. It could be excessive love for your spouse or kids or your property or your bank account. Anything we seek at any time above God for our greatest blessing or for our assurance or our help or our guidance or our satisfaction. God deserves to be in that first place. 
And it's oh so much better for us when he is. All those things are, are gods that you can't talk to. We have a God who talks back to us and is all-powerful and loves us and is the only one worthy to worship. God is good. We are talking about uh, worship the king in a vision series for our church. So in point C, as you, as you go on in your notes, you see worship prescribed for the church. We are the church, and so we come together as a church. The Bible makes that very clear. It's commanded. It's who we are. It's, it's, I mean, it is who we are. So why do we come together to worship God? Can't we uh, worship by ourselves? Yes, and we need to, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Well, why do we come together to worship? Why? Because we're not like a bag of marbles. We're like a bag of grapes. And when we're crushed in life by the hardships of life, and we mix together, we mingle and mix into oneness and unity and maturity that glorifies God. And you can't do that alone. You can't do that if you're acting like a bag of marbles. Go back to last Sunday's message about maturing as family. We come together, though, to worship God. And here's what God's word says to do when we come together, and this is going to make a lot of sense. Why do we do the things we do on Sunday mornings? Well, here's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 14.40, but all things should be done decently and in order, Paul tells the Corinthian church. Now, you have on your notes a list of the basic things. He says do all things in order. These are the things that we do together as God instructs. I'm just going to run through them very quickly. Greeting. We greet each other. 1 Peter 5.14 says greet one another. So we greet each other eagerly, and I hope that you embrace each other if, if it's appropriate. Or, uh, you know, air hugs, fine. Um, but we greet each other eagerly for the glory of God. That's kind of the first thing we do and maybe the last thing we do on our way out. Singing. I, look, I want everybody to really watch out for anybody who's just defining worship as singing. And you can correct them on that. But over 50 times, we're directly commanded to sing. Psalms. Hymns and spiritual songs to each other and with each other. The biggest book in the Bible is Psalms. It's a song book. We sing. We're commanded to sing. Reading scripture, 1 Timothy 4.13 says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. So we, we open the word. Paul goes on to say to Timothy that preaching, preaching is central. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, not your opinions. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repute, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience in teaching. Oh, the word of the, the, word of the Lord is our authority, and it's, it's what shapes our lives. We need it. We're not done. Five is prayer. First Timothy 2.1, I urge that, listen, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, lots of different types of prayer be made for all people. God has our hearts through prayer. And move. And then we worship through the ordinances. This is what Jesus set up for his church, baptism and communion. And our baptism class and service is next month. If you haven't followed the Lord in baptism yet, let's say this year is the year. Watch for that, and you can sign up for that in the next few weeks. And seven, we worship through giving. Because God commands it. That's what funds his worship and mission into the world. And then he blesses us richly for it. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. 
Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. In a discussion about vision, one of our elders, Mike Fisher, made a couple quotes, and I had to write them down. And now, today's the day I share them. Mike Fisher said, we are a chosen part of what God is going to do in Warsaw, Winona Lake, Kosciuszko County. Just meditate on that. We are, we are a chosen part of what God is going to do in Warsaw, Winona Lake, and Kosciuszko County. And then he said, the budget speaks to vision. Our budget, what's in it, where it's going, speaks to vision. And in our annual business meeting in a couple weeks, back here in the evening of January 23rd, we will see what 2022's budget looks like and how it speaks in to this vision. I wanted to give you a little update on giving. If you notice in your bulletin, in the giving section weekly, uh, last week's giving is not in there. Instead, it's the totals for 2021. And, and praise God, our church exceeded our budget for 2021. And on top of that, the Christmas offering that had a high goal of $40,000 that doesn't end until the end of this month. Did you see the total in there today? $38,115. That's you guys. You are amazing, Community Grace. Amen? All right, God is amazing. Uh, but isn't faithful obedience amazing to him? Keep it going. Uh, oftentimes, giving is the last form of worship and control. People turn over to God. Just do it. Uh, Life is so, so wonderful when, when you're giving all of yourself to God. One basic biblical principle that, um, for giving that can change your entire financial life is, is this, the well-known 70% principle of lasting wealth. And it's a principle that we've lived by for years, and it just it, it makes everything work. Um, the first 10% goes to God. The second 10% goes to debt, get out of debt, and then build up that emergency fund. The third 10% goes to savings. Now, tithe is 10%, literally, that's what tithe means. And the national average of Christian household giving to the church is 2%. Has been for a long time. We've assessed the numbers here, it's easy to do at Community Grace. That number is closer to 6%, three times the national average. Isn't that great? I love that. Um, shoot to give God only in a spirit of, of worship generously. No one ever got into financial trouble because they tithed. But people certainly have gotten into financial trouble, or they've certainly gotten out of trouble by prioritizing their money in this way. The key is to learn to live on 70%. And that's the way forward to financial peace. Jesus' lifestyle was simple. He's the one we follow. And so I love Financial Peace University, and when we came here, I met Scott Schramm, who's been teaching it. He and Ann have been teaching it for years here. How many people have ever taken FPU? Okay, I'm seeing maybe half, half of the people there today. Uh, it is just the best resource for mastering your finances, which produces peace. It's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, it's starting up again later this month, and you can see the details in your bulletin about that. And it's also on the small group sign-up list, our list of open group opportunities. The small groups are ready to kick off in the next couple weeks, too. So be sure that you're connected 
in some kind of community, and FPU is a good one uh, for this season. Okay, we have identified the king whom we worship. We have defined worship. We've explained a little bit about God's prescribed worship for the church. We're going to continue now into point two. You see, how do we worship the king? And I am going to call up Tristan Spooler, our worship director, to take over for a little bit from here. I've been looking forward to teaming up with him. I want to tell you just a little bit, a worship director like Tristan is is like the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament Levitical priests whose job was to lead the people into greater and greater worship. And I have deeply appreciated uh, Tristan and the work that he's done so far. Can we welcome him to speak to us? Thanks. <laughs> I, I mentioned that earlier about clapping when we finished singing and there was some tepid clapping. I, I, li- I, like, I like when we clap together. Um, and I always feel funny after it's like something that we've done. It's, I, I just w- I wanted to clarify. I, I don't want you to clap for me. But I do like it when we clap to say thank you. You know what I mean? I, I like that. Um, it's, and it's cool when we're as a family and we do anything together. It's like we agree. It's cool when we agree that God is, God is worth this. You know what I mean? Um, anyway, I just thought of that because you guys clapped for me and it was very kind. Uh, as, as we look at worship, I, I just want to start out in saying I, I love this book. Have you guys checked this out? Have you seen this? It's pretty good. Um, and as we look to define worship, we, we don't look at, at what other religions are doing, obviously. We don't, and we also don't cling to the, the cultural practices to discover how it is that we are to worship God. We, we, we look at this guy. This is, this is our authority. So as, so as we dive into this, this is, this is the foundation. This is the base. Um, and it, it's what we submit to when we think about what worship is. So worship the king in all of life. I want to look at Romans 12 together. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you imagine the original readers were Romans, and they would have been really quite familiar with the sacrificial system. And and we are loosely a little bit. We understand that back in the day you, you sinned, and then you had to offer a clean animal, and that, that sacrifice of the clean animal would, would, would cover the sin. The, the original readers knew this really well. So when, when Paul is saying, uh, I appeal to you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, they would have understood living sacrifice, but he's totally describing something new. And so the new thing that he's describing, he says that true spiritual worship is that we offer not, not the clean animal, but our bodies. That, that is worship defined. My my entire being, I am willing to, to take it and to place it before the Lord. Does that make, that make sense? Uh, that, that, is, that is true worship. And, and what does that mean to place my body before the Lord, to be willing? It, it, what Paul says in, in verse 2 is, is the renewal of the mind. The renewal of the mind is the idea that what, the way that I think about something, I'm going to renew that. I'm, I'm going to change my mind 
to agree with God. Did you know there's a godly way to buy a house? Did you know there's a godly way to take your kids to school? There's a godly way to choose what to eat for lunch? That's, that seems funny, but 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So I read that and I say, okay, there must, there must be a godly way, there must be a way to give God glory when I eat or when I drink or when I drive my car, which also means that there's probably an ungodly way to eat or to drink or to drive my car. Every aspect of our lives will be an act of worship towards something. It will be. Which means that every aspect of our lives can be an act of worship towards God. Now let's look at what Jesus says about worship in John chapter four while talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. I like this story. Jesus says, or, or the, John says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet a good perception on her part. Uh, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, it's important to understand Samaritans believed that they could worship wherever they set up an altar. But, but Orthodox Jews, so Jews at that time, uh, believed that worship had to happen only at the Jerusalem temple. That's the context for their back and forth. You, they worshiped on this mountain, you say, only in Jerusalem. That's what they're talking about. Uh, But Jesus says true worship isn't based on location, but the nature of the worshiper. Uh, True worship doesn't have to be under the arch. It's it's about your heart. Uh, Worship's not about the coordinates. It's about the attitude, spirit, and truth. So let's define these together. When Jesus says to worship in truth, what he is saying is that... Did I say truth? I meant spirit. When Jesus says to worship in spirit, what he's saying is that worship has to be authentic. You you gotta mean it. Uh, It must involve our heart and our soul and our spirit, our strength, our life, our emotions, all of these things. If you have any faculty at all, then worship must involve that. Uh, To worship in spirit means then to to engage the inner self, right? To To not just go through the motions, but but to respond to God with an honest heart. Our Lord detests mere lip service. In fact, one of the main messages of the Old Testament prophets was their condemnation of the Israelite worship because it had become ritualistic with no heart. And regrettably, we are often guilty of the same thing. Our our praise can easily become routine. Honest biblical worship, it, it must engage more than just, just our head and hands. It should engage those two, but, it's, but it should engage more than just that. It must engage our hearts. Worship must be in spirit. However, worship must be in truth as well, because only, only truth has the power to honor. I, I'm going to say that again because I didn't coin that sentence, but I think it's so profound. Only, 
only truth has the power to honor. If worship is not rooted in truth, then it's just not worship. Uh, that is why, that's why we have two main parts of our, of our Sunday service. We worship in song, and then we worship in absorbing the only reliable source of truth that exists in, in the world. Uh, I, I just, I, I really do get excited about this. This is me worshiping in spirit, is because this really excites me. The only reliable source of truth in the entire, in entire existence uh, the pendulum has swung back and forth through history as people have pursued one or the other, spirit or truth, and worship and only spirit is, is really fueled by a desire to stimulate emotions, to a, a desire to stimulate the inner self. Uh, but worship only in truth is dry and rote and passionless and often joyless, and that's why we need worship to be both. In fact, if it's not both, I, I think what Jesus is saying is it's not worship. Okay. You ready? I'm going to tell you the thing that I love the most on this earth. Are you ready? I love my wife. I seriously love my wife. And I'm not, and, and you know what? I'm not embarrassed to tell you that. Some guys might be like, oh, you know, too macho. I'm not, I love my wife. I love her so much. Uh, now imagine this with me. Okay, imagine that I told you that I love my wife. I told you that. Um, but, I, but I never said it to her. Wait, or maybe, what if, I, what if I did say it to her, but then I never held her hand? I refused to. Or, what, or, or I never hug her, I never kiss her, I never take her out to dinner or ask her how her day was. I, I don't sacrifice a thing for her. I, my, my time, it gets spent elsewhere. But I told you I love my wife, but most of you would look at that and say, I don't know if he really loves his wife. But I'm here, I'm saying, no, really, right here, in, inside of me, I love my wife. But if we love something, that love always makes itself external, right? That, that, I mean, we just, we know that. We always express it, and so it is with worship. Whenever we see worship occurring in scripture, in fact, people are actively doing something. They're not sitting back, observing, rather, they're, they're active participants. Worship in scripture usually is loud and expressive and responsive and is typically accompanied by outward physical expression. Take a look at this. This is from the book of Revelation. I just finished reading Revelation and I had my mind blown. Look at this. At once, this is John writing. He says, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Pause for a second. It, it's obvious that what we're looking at right here is not in the human realm. This is, this is just amazing. Around the throne, there were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. Important guys. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second, like an ox, the third, with the face of a man, and the fourth, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures 
Each of them with six wings are full of eyes and all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Just day and night, they don't stop. Like this truth is so amazing. It's like, what, 13 words total, but it's so amazing day and night. Over and over and over, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I love the idea. There's 24 important guys with crowns. The crowns means they're important. And, and in the presence of God, it's, it's like, have, have the crown. I, I have to give you the crown. <laughs> you know, they cast it before him because he's worthy of it to receive all the glory and all the honor and all the power. This is heavenly worship. Our future eternal reality, this is, this, is, this is us. This is our future eternal reality is that day and night, never ceasing, worship the king. We will forever be expressing our adoration of the king of kings. It's our destiny. It's what we were created for. What holds us back now? Why do we, why do we worship in song? Um, I would say because it's ridiculously biblical. Uh, both the Old Testament, you mentioned it already, over 50 passages, uh, both the Old and New Testament command it. It appears four times alone in Psalm 47, 6. It, Psalm 47, 6 says, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. That's one verse. It says it four times. It's, it's important. Here's, a, here's what one author says about it. Um, right up here, they, these aren't suggestions, preferences, or good ideas. They're commands. And that means God intends for us to obey them. It is repeatedly demonstrated by God's people as a natural expression of worship. Here's some examples. Moses, Miriam, David, Joshua, Deborah, Asaph, Solomon, Hezekiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, I've run out of fingers, uh, Mary, Zechariah, Paul, Silas, and Jesus himself, all sang as forms of worship. The, the only reason we are even able to sing is because God created it so we could give it to him. That, that's why singing exists. Forget Broadway, forget opera. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's just not why singing exists. The reason singing exists is for, is for worship. Scripture also overwhelmingly speaks of, of bowing, of singing, shouting words of praise, kneeling, raising hands, even dancing. And all of these are characterized as expressions of worship as unto the Lord. To give you more context for all these ways to worship, uh, in your blue folders, or, or maybe you were given it this morning, you'll, you'll see this handout. Um, it, it should say uh, biblical expressions of praise or, or what the Bible has to say about expressions of praise. It's pretty comprehensive. I've used this in many worship gatherings I've led and asked people to, to just pray through the whole document it's a list of scriptures that mentions different types of biblical expression. So, so I've given this, we've given this to you just as a means to, to sit down with and, and to read through, to be aware of. This is what the Bible says about these things. And to pray through 
to see if, if God would change your mind about any of it. I'd like to challenge us to allow scripture to inform our, our worship to God and, our, and praise him through, through our physical expression. And with that, let's, let's go ahead and finish. I'm going to invite Reg back up. Let's finish on one vi- vital point for our vision for worshiping the king. All right. I won't ask him to clap for each person, but thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> well, yes, let's, let's finish this vital point is uh, worship the king in the home. In the home. We're talking about everywhere we are living in kind of a spirit of worship all the time. But in the home, we're intentional like we are here at the church. Here's some, here's some again, some scripture about this. The, the very first Christians in the church, we see it through the, through the book of Acts and in the, in the epistles. We see them just actively worshiping, worshiping in the home, from house to house, every day, every day, because God told his people to from the very beginning. We go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, 6 through 9. This is right after the Shema, one of the, the key scriptures in all of Israel's history. It says this in verses 6 through 9, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There's the heart. And then here's the action. You shall teach them diligently to your children. When? All the time. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And that's set off the course of, of worship history uh, ever since. Old Testament and then the New Testament church. Every day, all the time, worship God. And, and in a formal way in the home, a structured way in the home. But you know what? Surveys have consistently revealed over the last few generations that in Christian households, only about 10% of Christian households have daily or consistent worship in the home. 10%. So community grace, grandparents, parents, surrogate parents, I want to ask if we could have a vision to flip that stat upside down and have at least 90% of our households actively worshiping God. You know we're supposed to be all about it, and you know it's good for us when we are, and we know that everything else crowds Uh, the attention for it, and the devil's trying to deceive us all the time. This cuts through all of that. Commit to making your household, whether you have one person that lives there or 20 people that live there, every day worshiping God. And I've put a simple plan on your notes for personal or family devotions to get started. Shoot for a goal to do it five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, and oh man, we can give 10, 20 minutes a day uh, to this. And you see just the radical change of who we are and the whole legacy and nature of your household, the peace and, and, and vision in your household. And this is step, and next step number one. We're going to conclude with this. Next step number one is for all of us to start or just rekindle devotions at home this week. It takes 21 days to develop a new habit. After 21 days of work and discipline, this will be such a part of the people in your household that they'll notice it's missing if it ever goes missing. The fruit of the Spirit grows in your life. Everything changes when we do this at home. Here's another study, the Bradford Wilcox study. Another nationwide study showed that regular worshiping homes produce the best husbands. That's measurable because they have the highest 
wives' marital satisfaction and the lowest domestic violence. Daily worship or home worship produces the best fathers. They're the most active. They're the most involved. They have the lowest abuse and the highest involvement. The best families, the lowest divorce, the most unified and the highest satisfaction. And as people who worship and follow Christ, we are filled with the fruit of the Spirit. The most joyful, hopeful, confident, giving people in the world. That's just God saying, trust me. You worship him. Next step, number two, is to reach our 2022 goals under worshiping the king. And if you have those in front of you, there are five. And I'm going to read those and ask you to join with me on achieving them. The first five, number six, sorry, the first one, average over 300 in worship services. And the reason for that is because healthy things grow. And as we're welcoming people and preaching the word and leading people to Christ in our neighborhoods and schools and workplaces, healthy things will grow. There's a target. Number two, grow regular prayer meetings by dozens of prayer warriors. Three, celebrate 30 salvations and baptisms this year. That's already been started this year. Baptisms next month, too. Four, hold three concerts of prayer with 100-plus attending, because we're a, church, a worshiping family. Five, observe annual church-wide day of prayer and fasting. We haven't scheduled that yet. That's going to be amazing. And number six, hold two freedom nights, evenings of vibrant worship to our king that invite the community uh, to participate with us. There's some concrete goals for 2020. I just ask you all to be a part of that. And then to fill out the survey of gifts and interests, because like anything else, like your job or, or your family, your work at home, there's a lot to be done, and God's commissioned everybody to be a part of it. Uh, so pull that sheet out. Uh, we just received a handful of those last week. I'm going to ask if you would please uh, take a look and see if, if uh, you would be able to join any ministries, especially the ones marked red. Those are the, the ones that are more urgent and we'd love to have those filled. Thank you for everybody who filled those out last week. Well, there's some concrete next steps as we grow, and this growth will continue all the way until heaven, which will be our greatest adventure. But let's enjoy it now. Let's pray and commit these things, our lives to God.